Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I'm Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. It started snowing in Chicago, which is absurd. It's not even Halloween, and it's already below freezing. How fun! Maybe President Trump's right, and global warming isn't really real. Just kidding. The climate is definitely changing, and not for the better. It's just, that's what happens when you live in the Midwest. You get snow before Halloween. I love it. Before I dive in to today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement specifically for my American listeners, and that little announcement is please, please vote if you haven't voted already. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That would be pretty unethical of me. Although, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably have some sense about my political leanings and ideology, aka a little bit more leftist than to the right. But anyways, please vote if you can, and if you haven't voted yet, if you're under the age of 18, or you're not a U.S. citizen, don't vote. That'd be illegal. But if you are over 18 and you are registered to vote or you live in a state that allows Election Day registration, please, please vote. At this point, we're so close to Election Day that it's not recommended to vote by mail. Go in person. I know with COVID, that isn't the best scenario, but it is what it is. Do your civic duty. This election matters so, so much. PSA out of the way. I've done my little bit for the hopeful survival of our democracy. So let's dive in to this episode. Yet another episode about a pretty terrible historic marriage. This week we're going to be talking about Joanna the Mad, who arguably was the first queen of a united Spain. I was so excited to do this episode because for me, Joanna is fascinating. She is a historical figure who is right in the middle of all these really interesting intersectional issues. We get to talk about women in power, as well as disability and mental illness, along with everyone's favorite, a really shitty marriage. Joanna's study guide has extreme jealousy, the Prince of Wales, and a super unhealthy father-daughter relationship. Let's begin. The woman who would be known to history as Joanna the Mad was born November 6th, 1479, in Toledo, in what was then the Kingdom of Castile. Her name to her contemporaries would have been Juana, because after all, Spanish, but as I've been doing throughout all of these episodes, because I am a hideous American, I'm going to use the anglicized version of her name, aka Joanna. Also, it fits nicely into my little trend of the last few episodes talking about various Joannas of history. Joanna was the third child of Ferdinand II of Aragon and his wife, Isabella I of Castile. And if those names sound familiar, that's because they are the famous Ferdinand and Isabella that commissioned Christopher Columbus to do that whole Finding America thing. But Ferdinand and Isabella are important for other reasons, specifically within the story of Spain. Let's do a quick little overview of why Ferdinand and Isabella matter so much in Spain. 
and this is going to be extremely surface level because otherwise this podcast would be extremely long, like many days long. Basically, for several centuries, aka since the Moorish invasions in the 700s, Spain had been pretty fractured, a bunch of different kingdoms and city-states not at all unified. By the 1400s, the country was pretty much split between the Kingdom of Aragon in the northeast, the Kingdom of Castile in the center, and the Emirate of Granada in the south. The first two kingdoms were Catholic, and then the Emirate of Granada was Muslim. By 1469, Isabel and Ferdinand had gotten married, and with their marriage, they had unified the kingdoms of Aragon and Castile for the first time, basically, ever. And because these two large Catholic kingdoms were unified, the majority of Catholic Spain was united, which meant that the Catholics in Spain were really able to focus on conquering Granada and completing the Reconquista, aka pushing Spanish Muslims out of Spain and extending Catholic rule to all of Spain. Even though Ferdinand and Isabella really began that process after their marriage, they wouldn't quite complete that little task until 1492, aka when Christopher Columbus entered the picture. So Joanna was born right in the middle of this. At the time of Joanna's birth, Ferdinand and Isabella already had had two children, a son, Juan, and a daughter, who, oh so conveniently, was also named Isabella. Because the two already had several children, everyone was expecting that either Juan or the younger Isabella would end up becoming the ruler of Spain because women were able to inherit Castile after all. Joanna would also have two younger sisters, Maria and Catherine, and as a side note, Catherine would be known to history as Catherine of Aragon, so she should be decently familiar to all of us. Growing up, Joanna and her siblings would have a pretty fantastic education. By the time she was a teenager, Joanna was able to read, write, and speak Castilian, Catalan, French, Latin, and several other Spanish dialects. She apparently also had quite the head for math, science, and philosophy. However, Joanna did stick out from her family in one key way. Apparently, she was decently skeptical when it came to Catholicism, aka she had a tendency to skip out of services and not show up for confession. This was a huge no-no if you were Ferdinand and Isabella's daughter. After all, these are the folks that brought you the oh-so-unexpected Spanish Inquisition. Due to Joanna's refusal to be a good, pious daughter, Isabella allowed her to be physically abused and possibly tortured until Joanna said that she believed in Catholicism. It's unclear if this torture actually worked or if Joanna merely said that she was a believer in order to stop, you know, the physical pain. So, that was Joanna's childhood until she was about 16 years old. In October 1496, Ferdinand arranged Isabella's engagement to Philip of Burgundy, aka 
Philip the Fair, the son of Maximilian I, the Holy Roman Emperor, and a member of the up-and-coming Habsburg family. That October, Joanna left Spain and traveled to Burgundy to meet her fiancé. She was 16, and Philip was 17. Joanna's engagement to Philip was part of Ferdinand's larger plan to ally with smaller royal families against France. So Joanna's engagement was actually part of a double marriage because Philip's sister Margaret would end up marrying Joanna's brother Juan to ensure that the Spanish royals and the Habsburgs were tightly united and prevent anyone in the French royal family from marrying into that little alliance because at that point in the 1400s, everyone hated France. This is also why Ferdinand would have Joanna's younger sister, Catherine, marry one Arthur, the Prince of Wales. Apparently, when Joanna and Philip first met each other, they were super attracted to the other, which, as we've learned throughout this podcast, is extremely rare. At the time that they met, both had a reputation for being extremely attractive, and they were about the same age, aka we have two horny teenagers who see another horny teenager and are like, oh fuck yeah, let's have sex. Literally, Joanna and Philip insisted on getting married the day they met instead of waiting for a more standard royal wedding because the two were so desperate to bang. And that's what happened. A priest came in, they were married, and they probably went off to some castle to have sex. Once they were married, Joanna moved with Philip to Burgundy where the two set up a court. Early on in the marriage, Joanna was very focused on being that good royal wife and having kids. While she didn't get pregnant right away, she did start noticing that her handsome beloved husband had a habit of hitting on any and everything that moved. A trait that would last all of Philip's life because, as it turned out, Philip the Fair would end up having at least four illegitimate children that we know of. The year after Joanna got married, her older brother, Juan, died. Luckily for everyone, Juan's wife, aka Philip's sister, was pregnant when Juan died, so there was a possibility of him having an heir. Tragically, Juan's wife ended up having a stillbirth, so that heir possibility was out the window. The year after Juan's death, Joanna's older sister, Isabella, died as well. Luckily for the family, though, Isabella had given birth to a son, Miguel, so Miguel was next in line for the throne of Castile and Aragon. However, two years later, in 1500, Miguel died, and with Miguel out of the picture, Joanna was the oldest of Ferdinand and Isabella's surviving children and was suddenly the heiress to her mother's kingdom. However, the question of who would inherit Aragon was a bit more complicated because technically women couldn't inherit Aragon, which meant that her parents' kingdom would be split up upon their death, and no one wanted to see that happening, especially her father. 
On top of this, Ferdinand wasn't all that thrilled with the idea of him ruling Aragon while Joanna and her husband ruled Castile because Ferdinand was extremely worried that Philip would try to make Castile part of the Habsburg family lands instead of allowing it to remain independent and Spanish. To resolve this concern of Ferdinand, Isabella added an amendment to her will that said that after her own death, Philip could only act as Joanna's consort and would legally not have any claim to Castile, and if Joanna happened to be determined unfit to rule, Ferdinand and not Philip would step in to be the king of Castile. So at least we had the Castile issue resolved. Yes, there still was the question of who would inherit Aragon, but the family decided that was a problem to be resolved later. And luckily for everyone, the same year that Joanna became the heiress of Castile, she gave birth to a son who would be named Charles. The birth of Charles was a giant relief to everyone. Now that she had a male heir, there was someone who could inherit both Castile and Aragon, and the two Spanish kingdoms could stay united. Joanna would end up having five other children with Philip, which, in my opinion, maybe proves that she and her husband were super into each other, despite Philip's wandering eyes. These children would be Ferdinand, Eleanor, Elizabeth, Maria, and Catherine. Both of Joanna's sons would be the King of Spain, and all of her daughters would eventually be the queens of various countries. Soon after giving birth to Charles, Joanna and Philip left Burgundy and moved back to Spain. This move back to Spain meant that Joanna fell back into her parents' orbit and realm of control, which both Ferdinand and Isabella were thrilled about. Both of them felt like living in Burgundy allowed Joanna to be under too much of a French and Habsburg influence, which they did not enjoy at all. However, two years after returning to Spain in 1502, Joanna started to show the first symptoms of the mental instability that she is now famous for. It was in 1502 that she started to become obsessed with the idea that her husband Philip was having affairs, which he definitely was, and Joanna was determined to find the women that he was sleeping with and punish them, even though, let's be honest, she should have been punishing Philip because he was the dirty, rotten cheater. Ultimately, Joanna was able to uncover the identity of at least one of his mistresses, and when she did so, she literally attacked the woman. However, that was all the information I was able to find out about that event. I couldn't figure out the exact identity of said mistress or how Joanna actually attacked her. At the same time that Joanna was starting to get very worked up about her husband's affairs, Philip was starting to use Joanna's new status as the heir to Castile to improve his own status, aka he started bossing her around and telling Joanna what to do and how to behave. As it turned out, Joanna was extremely strong-willed and was not a fan of Philip's new behavior. She would react to his demands in a very passive-aggressive way. 
aka she would refuse to eat or refuse to sleep if he pushed her around too much. And yes, being passive-aggressive is not the best way to react to your partner bossing you around, but let's think about it. Joanna is a woman living in the 16th century. She really didn't have that many options, even if she was a royal. Then in November 1504, Joanna's life becomes a lot more complicated when her mother, Isabella, caught ill of a fever and died. When Joanna found out that her mother was sick, she collapsed emotionally. Once again, she refused to eat or sleep in a weird form of protest. Maybe she thought that by refusing to do these basic things, she would somehow save her mother's life, but obviously it failed. After her mother's death, Joanna was suddenly the ruler of Castile, and technically Castile and Aragon were no longer united, a fact that made her father extremely irritated. As soon as she found out her mother was dead, Joanna's reaction was to want to reunite with her beloved husband, Philip, who by now was back in Flanders dealing with various Habsburg drama. However, to reach Flanders, Joanna would have to travel through France, and at the time, France and Spain weren't on the best of terms, by which I mean the two countries were literally at war. When Joanna found out that she would not be able to return to see her husband ASAP, she literally threw a temper tantrum and a bishop had to lock her up in some stables to prevent her from escaping and riding off to reunite with her husband. So instead of returning back to Flanders, Joanna instead headed to Castile, specifically Madrid, because hey, she's queen now, she has to at least make an appearance to her people. While she was en route to Madrid, though, her father Ferdinand decided that maybe she wasn't the best person to rule, and hey, his wife was the queen. Doesn't that technically make him King of Castile still? So he started trying to consolidate power in Castile. And when I say he tried to consolidate power, what I mean is that Ferdinand gained control of the kingdom's revenue office and convinced the local courts to declare Ferdinand, and not Joanna, the ruler of Castile. He also was working with local bishops to convince Joanna to let him rule, so to let him rule solely as the regent, even though Castile belonged to her. And as, and as if that wasn't enough, Ferdinand also started spreading rumors that maybe Joanna wasn't the most mentally stable. As if having her own father try to undermine her claims to the throne wasn't bad enough, then Joanna's husband got involved. As it turned out, Philip would very much like control of Castile and use said control to pull some of Spain into the Habsburg family orbit. To do so, he gathered an army of about 2,000 German mercenaries and started to march from Burgundy to Castile. Along the way, he forced Spanish towns that he stopped in to recognize him and not Ferdinand as king. And because Philip had said army, 
the towns had no choice. Once he caught up to Joanna, he literally locked her up in their shared rooms so that she would be unable to communicate with her family members or anyone, basically. Meanwhile, Joanna was caught between her husband and her father. This probably would have been difficult for the strongest person in the best of times, but at this moment, Joanna was neither the strongest nor in the best of times, given that she still was in deep mourning for her mother, and as we've established, wasn't necessarily the most emotionally stable human being. Joanna genuinely did deserve to rule Castile, but neither man in her life would allow her. She ended up literally shoved into the background of the political drama in a black dress, silenced. And yes, she was literally silent. She refused to publicly support her husband's attempt to usurp the throne, and she wasn't allowed to speak to her father in public, so there wasn't much that Joanna could do. Pretty quickly, the divide between Ferdinand and Philip was so bad that other European leaders had to jump in before Castile fell completely and utterly into a civil war. Henry VII was openly giving diplomatic support to Philip while also giving monetary support to Ferdinand. After all, his son was married to one of Ferdinand's brothers. Finally, the King of France at the time brought everyone together and negotiated a settlement. Said settlement said that Joanna and Philip, not Ferdinand, would be the rulers of Castile because, after all, Isabella's will said that Joanna was her heir. However, in order to mollify Ferdinand, he would get land and money. As soon as the settlement was reached, Philip conveniently had Joanna declared completely unfit to rule Castile, which meant that he still got to maintain power. Isn't it funny how those things turn out? For the next two years, Philip and Joanna stayed in Castile, where Joanna was utterly sidelined, and Philip got to do his own things. But then, in September 1506, Philip the Fair died unexpectedly of a fever. Once again, Joanna was completely unable to handle the death of someone close to her. First, she refused to let anyone outside of her immediate circle know that he was dead. But once it came time to let the wider public know that, yes, the King of Castile was in fact dead, she then refused to let her husband's body out of her sight. She insisted on traveling next to Philip's body from the city of Burgos, where he died, to the city of Granada, where she promised Philip he would be buried. The trip was over 600 miles long, and because Joanna was about six months pregnant at the time, said trip went extremely slowly, and Joanna insisted on riding next to the casket the entire time. And then, once the casket reached Granada, Joanna insisted on opening it and kissing Philip's embalmed body in front of a large crowd. So maybe not the most normal thing for a wife to do. After Philip's death, the Spanish people were genuinely concerned about Joanna's ability to rule. Rumors started to spread across the country that she was crazy, especially after that little stunt she had pulled with Philip's body. However, 
the whole traveling to Granada with the casket thing may have actually been a political tactic on Joanna's part. After all, Joanna's claim to the throne of Castile was shaky at best thanks to her father's continued attempts to steal Castile away and her male heir, her son Charles, was only six at the time. Joanna may have traveled through the Castilian countryside down to Granada to remind both the locals and her father that she was, in fact, the one in charge, and she may have also done so to avoid having to get remarried immediately after losing a husband who she had genuinely loved. After all, Joanna was only 27 years old at the time of Philip's death, and she was pregnant. She clearly was still very fertile. Even if this was a political strategy, it ultimately failed. After Joanna reached Granada, she was determined to rule her kingdom as herself, not as her husband's widow or as a pawn for her father. She recalled the counsel that Philip had used when she was ruling and almost immediately dismissed most of the counselors to show that she was going to be independent from her dead husband. She started rolling out some policies that were different from those that either her husband or her father had had, but once again, she was overshadowed by Ferdinand, who almost immediately started interfering in Castilian affairs. Because Ferdinand had a bigger army and was willing to bring in said large army to Castile, he ultimately had the last word. At the start of 1507, Joanna gave birth to her youngest daughter, Catherine. While she was recovering, Ferdinand had her sent to the convent of Santa Clara in the city of Tordesilla. It's unclear if Joanna knew what her father's plans for her were at the moment, but once she entered the convent of Santa Clara, Joanna's fate was basically sealed. She was not going to be queen in her own right anymore, and she essentially was never going to leave the convent again. By 1509, her father had set it up so that he was officially ruling Castile on his own. He had convinced the legal system in the city to name him as the ruler and to say that, yeah, Joanna was not mentally fit to rule. As always, it's really difficult to diagnose someone with a mental illness after the fact, especially when it's centuries after the fact, especially when it's someone like Joanna and there's so much politics involved in her initial diagnosis. All of that is to say that it's super unclear exactly what she was suffering from, there's some modern scholars who suggest that Joanna was completely healthy. There was nothing wrong with her. She was just an innocent young woman who was taken advantage of by her husband and father. And all the rumors that she was mentally ill were simply rumors used to lock her away. However, most scholars nowadays, both historians and psychologists say that Joanna probably was suffering from some sort of mental illness. A majority of these scholars think that it was probably either clinical depression or schizophrenia or a combination of the two, aka she was suffering from something, but whatever she was suffering from is something that could be treated 
in the 21st century with proper medication and therapy. Other scholars suggest that Joanna also may have suffered from bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, or once again, a mix of various things. All that to say is, if Joanna had lived in the modern day, she would not have been locked away in a convent at the age of 27. She probably could have gotten proper treatment. However, the contemporaneous legacy of Joanna led to her being blamed for a lot of the later genetic issues in the Spanish Habsburg family, like the fact that some of her descendants literally could not close their jaws, although that more had to do with poor inbreeding choices and the fact that later Habsburgs had a bad habit of literally marrying their nieces than anything to do with Joanna herself. We don't know a lot about Joanna's life when she entered the convent of Santa Clara, but the likelihood is that her life wasn't all that pleasant, especially considering where Joanna had started out her life. If you start out living your life as a princess and a queen, being sent to a convent, even if it's a beautiful convent, just isn't going to be the same. And being sent to a convent as someone suffering mental illness is going to be even worse. We do know that Joanna's youngest daughter, Catherine, lived at the convent with her until 1525 when Catherine left to marry her cousin, the King of Portugal. Once again, the Habsburg's tendency towards inbreeding rears its beautiful head. Apparently, Joanna and Catherine were amazingly close, and Joanna was utterly heartbroken when Catherine left. In 1517, Ca Joanna's father died. However, Joanna did not have a chance to leave the convent and rule the combined kingdoms of Castile and Aragon. This was the first time that the kingdoms had a chance to be ruled by the same person because by then her char because by then her son Charles, who was 17, was firmly acting as her regent. Thank you very much. And Charles was going to continue the policy of keeping her locked away. Charles would go on to be known as Charles I of Spain and then Charles V of the Holy Roman Empire, and he would become very important in European affairs, aka the Reformation, and also is pretty much the first of the Spanish Habsburgs because, as we've established, his dad, Philip, was a Habsburg. In 1519, Joanna left the convent for the first time in over a decade. That year, her beloved son Charles was named the Holy Roman Emperor. The naming of Charles to this position caused a ton of anxiety across Spain. A lot of the Spanish people felt like Charles was going to be too focused on Habsburg affairs and wasn't going to be Spanish enough, which kicked off a bit of a rebellion. The rebels, who were known as the Comuneros, briefly freed Joanna and tried to get her to rule Spain instead of her sons. After all, by following the Spanish laws of succession, she, not Charles, should be queen. However, the rebellion of the Comuneros didn't go anywhere, and by 1520, Joanna was returned back to the convent of Santa Clara, where she would live for the rest of her life. 
Despite the fact that she did remain locked in the convent, Joanna was given the title Queen of Spain, and she would retain the title for the rest of her life. Later on in her life, Joanna started to develop some pretty severe paranoia, which is one of the reasons why a lot of scholars do believe that she suffered from schizophrenia and became convinced that the nuns in the convent were trying to murder her. Beyond that, we really just don't know anything about Joanna's life post-1520 beyond rumors spread by various government officials who obviously wanted to keep Joanna in a poor light in order to strengthen Charles's claim to the Spanish throne. Joanna ended up dying on April 1st, 1555 in Tordesilla, Spain at the age of 75. She is buried in the Capilla Real in Granada next to her husband Philip and her parents Ferdinand and Isabella. As a result of her being locked away in a convent for the vast majority of her life, Joanna is known to history as Juana la Loca or Joanna the Mad. I personally don't think it's fair to simply define Joanna as the Mad. As we've seen in this episode, Joanna is more than just a crazy woman. In my opinion, she's more tragic than anything else. She had a potential to rule, and she was supposed to rule. She was the heir. But due to power plays between men, and let's face it, a lot of misogyny, she never got that chance. Maybe she did suffer from mental illness, but so did a lot of kings, including a lot of kings within her own family, and I'm pretty sure most of them weren't locked away for over two-thirds of their lives. I'm sure Joanna will retain the title The Mad for most of history. Once you have a title for over 500 years, it's pretty hard to get rid of it, but more recent scholarship has really been reconsidering that perspective of Joanna and has been looking at her in a much more sympathetic light, which I do think is really important. As always, for those fans of the study guide who prefer bullet points to a full-on lecture, I'm going to do a quick little recap of Joanna the Mad's not-so-angry life. Joanna was born in 1479 in Toledo, Castile. She was the third child of Ferdinand and Isabella, the famous uniters of Spain. She had, at the time of her birth, she had two older siblings, Juan and Isabella, so no one really expected the headstrong teenager who had a head for languages and not that much interest in religion to ever be the heir to her mother's kingdom of Castile. However, in 1498, two years after marrying her husband, Philip of Burgundy, both Juan and Isabella were dead, and suddenly Joanna was next in line to inherit the kingdom of Castile. This caused a bit of a mess. After all, women could only inherit Castile, not Aragon, which meant that her parents' beloved unified kingdom would be split up upon their death. Neither Ferdinand nor Isabella particularly wanted this, but there wasn't a whole lot they could do. Luckily, Joanna did her job as a royal princess and ended up giving birth to two sons as well as four daughters, not that anyone cared that much about the daughters. Soon after giving birth to 
her sons, Joanna started to show some symptoms of emotional instability, mostly a tendency to get extremely, extremely angry whenever her husband, Philip, cheated on her, which was, which was often, as it turned out, Philip would have four illegitimate children. This, things got a lot worse in 1504 when her beloved mother, Isabella of Castile, died of a fever. When Joanna found out that Isabella was dead, she refused to eat or sleep. However, Joanna couldn't just sit around refusing to eat forever. She was now technically the ruler of Castile, and she had to get to Castile immediately. However, her father, Ferdinand, wasn't thrilled with this turn of events. Remember, he wanted to keep Castile and Aragon unified, and now Joanna, not him and his wife, were ruling Castile. So, Ferdinand also headed to Castile and tried to consolidate power for himself. At the same time, Joanna's husband, Philip, who had no claim to Castile, was also trying to consolidate power in Castile for himself, not Joanna. The two men quickly started fighting, completely cutting Joanna out of any power in Castile, and things got so tense that both the King of England and the King of France had to get involved and create a settlement that allowed Joanna and Philip, not Ferdinand, to rule the kingdom. As soon as Philip was on the throne, he said that, oh, poor Joanna, she's insane. She can't rule at all. And suddenly, Joanna, for the first but not the last time, had lost control of the kingdom that was rightfully hers. Two years later, Philip died unexpectedly of a fever, and Joanna was heartbroken. Even though Philip hadn't been the best husband, she still loved him. One of the first things she did after his death was take his body on a 600-mile pilgrimage to Granada. Along the way, her behavior caused people to question her sanity because she kept taking his body out of the casket and showering it with kisses. This pilgrimage may have been a way for Joanna to show the people of Castile that she was still in charge and she was not about to get remarried anytime soon, but it backfired because, yeah, it kind of made her seem more than a little unstable. Oh, and she was extremely pregnant the whole time. A few months later, at the start of 1507, Joanna gave birth to her youngest daughter, Catherine, and her father, Ferdinand, took advantage of this to send Joanna away to a convent for her own health. As soon as Joanna was in the convent, her fate was sealed. She essentially would never leave it again, and her father took advantage of her absence to once again seize control of Castile. It's unclear exactly what Joanna was suffering from. Most scholars say it was some form of mental illness, maybe clinical depression, maybe borderline personality disorder, maybe schizophrenia. We honestly don't know. What we do know is that if Joanna lived in the 21st century, she probably could have received treatment and would have been fine. We also know that Joanna would spend the rest of her life in the convent. Even when Ferdinand died in 1517, Joanna did not get to leave the convent and take her rightful place on the throne as the Queen of Spain. Instead, her oldest son, Charles, began to act as her regent, thank you very much, and continued the policy of keeping her locked away. 
1519, Charles became the Holy Roman Emperor, which caused anxiety within Spain, leading to a short-lived rebellion known as the Comuneros Rebellion. The rebels did free Joanna from the convent and tried to place her on the throne, but this failed, and by 1520, Joanna was back in the convent. She would live there until April 11th, 1555, when she died at the age of 75. Poor Joanna. Most of my research for this episode came from the Encyclopedia Britannica article on Joanna, the Town and Country article on her by Lauren Hubbard, Ferdinand Epsi Forsen's article about Joanna and her mental health, Bethany Aram's article, Queen Juana, Legend and History, and Julian Fleming's monograph, Juana the First, Legitimacy and Conflict in 16th Century Castile. As always, for a full list of resources, as well as relevant images, you can visit the website Sad Girl Study Guides. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. If you want to financially help out the podcast, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sadgirlstudyguides. Patrons get access to a bunch of cool things depending on what tier they're on. For a dollar a month or above, you get a shout out and access to the bi-weekly tangent casts where we talk about a person, place, or thing that didn't quite fit in to a normal study guide and at higher tiers you get access to fun things like getting to suggest a topic for a study guide. Next time we'll be covering the life of Isabeau of France and her not so great marriage to Charles VI of France, the man who kind of kicked off the 100 years war. As always, you can also reach out to the podcast on social media. There is the Twitter, Sad Girl Study Pod, and the Instagram, Sad Girl Study. The best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend or subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify. And please let us know how we're doing. Read or review, or else I'll be sad. Thanks! <laughs>